Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here today, and, and what, a, what a great way before the message just to declare that He is holy. Do you believe that this morning? I tell you, you know what, that's, it's amazing, especially think about it in terms of what we're about to talk about. Last week we began a series, it'll take us six weeks, called what, When Trust Makes No Sense. And I, and I just want to be kind of transparent this morning and just say this, there's sometimes when God asks us to do things, and it absolutely, positively makes no sense. Do you believe that this morning? Some of you are going through it right now, right? You're like, God's, tr- God's asked you to do some things, and when you put the pen to paper, it makes no sense. And there's so many things that we could talk about. There's so many stories in the Bible that we've seen that. I mean, I go back to last week. I mean, what, what, ha- I mean, what would you be thinking if you're the nation of Israel, and you're in the land that God has promised, and in the middle of this land is a city called Jericho, and God tells Joshua to tell his people, listen, this is a heavily armed and fortified city, so here's how we're going to take it. Are you ready? Here's what we're going to do. You're going to march around the city one time for six days, and that's it. And then the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times, and you're going to let out a trumpet and a cry, and the walls are going to come tumbling down. Now, how many of you are thinking, that guy must be crazy to tell us that, right? I mean, because when God told Israel to do that, it absolutely, positively made no sense. When's the last time they ever saw a group of people circle a city and the walls just come down? The answer is never. So sometimes trusting God, listen, it just doesn't make sense. And I think we need to be honest and open and acknowledge that. That sometimes God calls us out and leads us down a path and that based on our understanding, it makes no sense. But here's the thing. We are still called to trust him, even when it doesn't make sense. Are you with me on that? We're still called to trust him, even when it makes no sense. We're still called to believe that he is faithful and that he is in control, that he is reliable and that he is able. And no matter what circumstances we face, even when it makes no sense, we are still called to trust God. And the way we trust God, we learned last week from Proverbs 3, is by not leaning on our own understanding. Meaning, don't lean on your own assessment of the situation. But in all our ways, what? Acknowledge Him. Bring God into the equation. Relinquish control. Relinquish your decisions and your thoughts about it. And say, I want to see this God from your perspective. I'm not going to lean on my understanding. But in all my ways, I'm going to bring you into the equation. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to relinquish control to you. And then what was the promise? He will make your paths what? Crooked? Straight. Now I want to reiterate, straight doesn't mean easy. And God's straight doesn't mean you're straight. And straight doesn't mean freed from obstacles. But when it says he will make your path straight, what it does mean is that he will give you clarity on that path. That when there's obstacles, he will give you the strength to either go through them or around them. But most importantly, that when we're going through those paths, he is with us. And so last week, my challenge to all of us was simply this. That as we jump into a new decade, as we jump into 2020, that we as individuals and that we as a local body of believers, that this year more than any other year, we will learn to trust God more deeply. And I want to remind you something. Just, and you may want to write this down if you weren't here last week. The depth of your faith and the depth of your obedience is a direct reflection of the depth of your trust. The more we trust God, the more we grow in our faith. The more we trust God, the greater we desire 
to obey him. And so I pray as we left last week, you left here going, you know what? I, I, there's some things I need to trust God with. In fact, I know there's some of you that did that because I had a stack of like 80 or 90 last week cards that you responded saying, Doug, would you, would you pray for me? Because I need to trust God with these things. Everything from a job to, to family to unbelievable amounts of marriage requests. I mean, there's so many things here that we all know we need to trust God with. And I've been praying for you this week. And I will remind us that if we're going to move forward and we're going to grow in the depth of our trust, there's some things we've got to hand over to him and not lean on our own understanding. But say, God, I've got to bring you to the equation. God, I'm relinquishing this to you. Now, as we move forward in the series, it would be natural at this point to go, okay, so what are some areas we need to trust God with? Okay, if, if, that's, if we're called to trust him, and now we know that what trust is, we defined it last week, and we know the method of trust, and we know the promises of trusting him, okay, it would be natural to immediately jump into what are some areas we need to trust him. Well, that's going to be next week and the next four weeks. But today, before we jump into areas we need to trust him, I want to challenge us all with this. That I believe as we think about trusting God, and maybe some of you left last week, and man, you were gung-ho. You're like, yes, this is an area I'm going to turn over to him, and I'm truly going to trust him. But I want to think for just a moment, and let's be real honest here, that as we desire to trust him, isn't there some obstacles we face about trusting him? Isn't there some things out there that try to pull us away from trust? And I believe one of the greatest obstacles that we face in trusting God is the obstacle of fear. Now, when you think about fear, there may be many words that come to mind, right? And for some of you, fear means scared. You're scared out of your mind. I mean, that's what it means for you. For some of you, it's being unsettled. It's uncertainty. For others of you, it's just this, it's just this idea that, that fear is just this, I, I, I don't know what's next for me. I don't, I, the unknown. And there's this idea of fear out there. And I believe the idea of fear is what hinders us and is one of the greatest obstacles for us trusting God, because at the core of fear, and you might want to write this down, at the core of fear, there's two questions that we ask. Is God really faithful? And is he really all-powerful? Is God reliable? And is he able? I don't know you, but when I look at my life and look at the areas in my life where I felt like God was really challenging me to trust him, there was that part of that fear. And, and for some of you, fear is just anxiousness, that, that anxiety of, you know, what, you know what's going to, I'm a what could happen person. Anybody else that kind of person in the room? I, I mean, I think to, oh, there's only three of us and, you know, four, okay, four or five. Okay, we're growing now. All right, so I'm the guy that looks at the situation and I look at all the scenarios. I look at the contingencies, what could happen, which typically takes me down a negative path. Instead of a positive fast. Sometimes I see the glass half empty instead of half full. But the idea is that when we trust God, that when we have this fear that is this obstacle, it leads us to two questions. Do I really think that God is faithful? And do I really think that God is able? Do I think he's there for me and he's going to guide me and direct me like I've been told? And do I really think that God's able and strong enough and all-powerful and in control enough to make this work the way I feel like he's leading me? Those are the two questions I think every one of us in the room to ask when it comes to fear. But here's the thing about fear. You know where fear always leads us? It always leads us down a path of doubt. Right? I'm not talking about doubting your salvation. It may be do that for some of you. But when I have fear that resonates in my heart, and for me it's usually an anxiousness. It's not really an uncertainty. It's an anxiousness in my heart. When I have fear that resides there, and I begin to ponder, is God faithful? And I wouldn't say it out loud, but we all wrestle with that, don't we? Is he really faithful? Is he really able? It always leads me down a path of doubt. I'm just not sure. 
And yet in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says we are not given the spirit of timidity or fear, but the spirit of power and of love and of self-control and self-discipline, right? So if we have fear in our hearts, the kind that is anxious, uncertain, scared, is that from God? No, it's not. And I believe fear is one of the greatest obstacles to us truly trusting God. So today I want us to look at a story in Scripture. I want us to look at a guy who really struggled with fear. He really struggled with fear, but I also want us to look at, you know, what are some lessons he should have learned about trusting God? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be all the way back in the Old Testament to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And before we are introduced to this guy, I want to read a couple of verses that set the stage for where the nation of Israel is at as this guy comes onto the scene. Judges chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 say this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. In other words, this is a season in Israel's history where Israel has been rebelling against God. Now, if you know anything about the book of Judges, this is a cycle that Israel goes through, right? They follow God, they believe in God, they trust God, God blesses, they decide they're better than God, smarter than God, and then God decides, hey, you need to be punished for that, and then they keep going through this never-ending cycle through the book of Judges. Well, this is a point in the book of Judges where they're in the cycle of totally being rebellious toward God. And not only being rebellious toward God, but God has allowed a nation, Midian, the Midianites, to rise up, and God is going to use them to punish Israel. And we know that because it says, where was Israel at? They were up in the mountains and they were hiding out. They were trying to find a place to take refuge because they were so oppressed by the Midianites. Now, what you need to know about the Midianites is they had history with Israel. In fact, 200 years before this, Israel had gone in and conquered the Midianites. They had gone in and overtaken them and overpowered them and oppressed them. And then Israel did what Israel does best. They got cocky. They got arrogant. And they started thinking that they were somebody and that they, had, they could do whatever they wanted to do. And because of their arrogance, God decided he was no longer going to bless Israel for a season. That in fact, part of that blessing was they would grow in numbers. Well, now they were not going to grow in numbers for a while. But guess who was growing in numbers? The Midianites. And they grew and they grew and they grew. And the bottom, of the, the bottom line of the story is this, is that their numbers so outnumbered Israel that it wasn't even funny. And these Midianites who had been taken over 200 years ago now wanted revenge on Israel. And God is allowing this group of Midianites to come in and to punish Israel. And you can read about it later, but if you were to scroll down from verse 3 through 10, you would see how they oppressed Israel. When Israel would produce crops, plant crops and produce them, the Midianites would come in and take them all. It says they would not even leave enough for sustenance for them because they were so oppressing them. I mean, the Midianites outnumbered Israel by hand over fist, wasn't even close anymore. And they were oppressing the nation of Israel. And that's where we come into counter with this guy in verse 11. Look at me in verse 11. It says this, now the angel of the Lord, now I want to, before we back out, let me say this. Like Israel, like Israel, when it all goes south, what do you think their last thing that they decide to do is? Call, call on God, right? I mean, so if you go back to like verse 10, the last thing they decide to do with all this oppression coming, they cried out to God. Now, I love what God does here because God reminds them, hey, I took care of your forefathers in Egypt. I delivered them. 
I was with them. I was in control. But yet you have continually ignored my voice. Now, if the story stopped there, that's how most of us would have responded to Israel, wouldn't it? Hey, I've blessed you. I've taken care of you. I've done all this stuff for you. And you've continued to rebel and to ignore my voice. So suffer at the hands of the Midianites, right? That's how my story would end. But that's not how God's story ended. Because we have verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sent under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Bizerite, while the son Gideon was beating out wheat in a winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So in the midst of all this that's going on, in the midst of the rebellion, in the midst of the oppression, God calls out a guy by the name of Gideon. Now, if you understood the story, here's what we'd understand. That where we find Gideon, where we're first introduced to Gideon, should be humiliating for Gideon. What is Gideon doing? You remember in the story, what was he doing? He was threshing what? Wheat. Where was he doing it at? In a wine press. Now you say, well, Doug, that makes no sense to me. Well, great. I'm glad you asked. Well, here's why that's important. Because when you thresh wheat, you would typically, you would always do it outside. But typically, you would do it on a mountaintop. And the reason being is because the way the wind blows. So when you're threshing wheat, the wind would blow the chaff away. And then you would have wheat. But Gideon, because he was hiding from the Midianites, because the Midianites were taking all their food and leaving no sustenance for them, leaving nothing for them at all, Gideon is taking some wheat, and he's gone into what you and I would know as a wine cellar. There's no wind in a wine cellar. He's indoors, maybe even underground, and he's doing all he can to thresh this wheat just to have enough so they can eat. And so here's this Gideon, loaded with fear, fleeing the Midianites, in hiding, trying to get just enough food for probably the people he loves to be able to eat that day. And yet the angel says, O mighty man of valor. Now I want you to find a little humor in that, right? Here's Gideon called out of Israel's nation, who God said, man, I'm going to call this guy and we're going to do some great things. And yet he's in a wine press threshing wheat because he's scared to death of the Midianites. He is loaded with fear, but the angel says, you're a great man of valor, which translates a very brave man. I would submit to you, a man of valor is not at all what Gideon was as we are introduced to him in the story. Do you, do you agree with me on that one? And we don't see that in him. We don't see a brave man. We see a man in hiding here. We see a man in a wine press trying to thresh wheat because he's scared to death in the Midianites. When I read the story, I don't see a man of valor, a man who's a mighty warrior. I see a man that's loaded with fear. So why is this important? Is it possible that God saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't see in himself? Is it possible that God saw something in Gideon that even the people around Gideon did not see in him. What God saw in Gideon was not a guy who was loaded with fear, that was in a wine press, just trying to hide from the Midianites. What God saw in him was a mighty man of war, a brave man and a mighty warrior. Now here's why I want to labor that for a minute, because I believe all of us in the room today, man, life happens, doesn't it? 
And a lot of time when life happens, it's terrible. We hate it. We are oppressed and we're afflicted and we're stricken. I mean, all those kind of words come out. But at the end of the day, when you look at your life, so many of us, all we see is a person that is wallowing in fear. We are paralyzed by fear. But I want to challenge you this morning and say this to you. I think God sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. I think God sees a Gideon in you that you don't see in yourself. God doesn't see someone just loaded with fear. He sees someone who has great and expectations for you. And I'm just going to say this. I don't want you to believe the lie of the devil, that you are insignificant and that you don't matter and that you, don't, that you can't follow and do what God has called you to do because God sees something in you just like he saw in Gideon. But when you look at Gideon here and God calls him out, obviously Gideon is still filled with fear. And we see that fear in his responses. Look at me the first response of Gideon to this in verse 13. And Gideon said to him, which is the angel Lord, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has what? Has what? Forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian. See, first thing we see about Gideon's response is he was fearful that God wasn't faithful. Now think about it. He looks at the fact that he's been called out and he looks at the situation around him and Gideon's first response is fear. He is fearful that God isn't faithful. Okay, God, okay, God, you know, think about it. He says this, he said, hey, you know, it, if, if you're faithful, why has all this stuff happened to us? God, if you're really a God that is faithful, that loves his people, cares for his people, protects his people, why is all this nonsense happening to us, God? God, well, all these stories that I've been hearing about how loving you are and how faithful you are, how much of a deliverer you are, God, well, I don't see that. I don't see that, God. In fact, God, I don't feel like you're faithful. I feel like you have forsaken us. And this is pretty powerful words, isn't it? I mean, he's talking to the angel of the Lord and saying, listen, well, I you know, and we look at the story going, but Gideon, you should rise up. God has called you out. God is going to equip you. We know the right answers, but the truth of the matter is, in the middle of this moment, what Gideon expresses is fear. God, I'm just afraid you're not faithful. Because I hear all this good stuff, but I'm not seeing it. God, I don't feel like you're, you're with me and you're for me. I feel like you've forsaken me. But then he gives another response loaded in fear. Look at me in verse 15. Skip down to verse 15. He says this, and he said to him, Gideon talking to the angel of the Lord, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Now, real quickly, he's like, listen, not only is he fearful that God wasn't faithful, he kind of evolves a little bit. And he's like, yeah, but if, even if you are faithful, he said, I, I'm afraid that I, I'm not good enough. He was afraid he wasn't good enough. It's this idea that, hey, look, 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 look Lord, if you're right, if you are trustworthy, which I'm not sure you are, you've got the wrong guy for the job. Isn't that what he's saying? You picked out the wrong guy. And if you think about it, there's 12 tribes of Israel. One of the tribes was the tribe of Manasseh. So here's what he's saying. Listen, God, out of all the tribes... The tribe of Manasseh is the weakest of all tribes. And my clan, which is one of many that make up that tribe, we're the weakest of the tribe of Manasseh. And guess what? I'm the weakest of my clan. 
In other words, I'm not the who's who of the guy that you ought to call out to rescue Israel. I'm the guy you never call out. I'm the weakest, most fearful, most fragile. I mean, I'm the guy nobody wants. I think you've called, I mean, even if I believe you, which I'm not sure you're faithful, but even if I believed you, I'm afraid that I'm not good enough. Lord, I don't trust you because what you're saying makes no what? Sense. It makes no sense. But then he continues to evolve from, hey, I'm not sure you're faithful to, hey, I'm not sure I'm the guy for the job. And look at me in verse 17. He says this in verse 17. And he said to him, if I now have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. So you can see the evolution of Gideon here. It starts with God, I'm not even sure you're faithful. Because what I hear and what I see, I think you've forsaken us. But let me just give you the benefit of the doubt for just a moment, okay? Let's just say I do believe you, that I do kind of think maybe you're faithful. At the end of the day, you've picked the wrong guy. I'm the scrawny guy. I'm the nobody's nobody guy. Nobody wants me. I mean, when we pick for kickball, Lord, I'm always the last one. Nobody wants me on their team, right? Nobody. But in this last one, we see that his fear exposed his lack of trust. It's almost like Gideon saying, Lord, I want to trust you. I do. I really want to trust you. But I need a sign. Show me. Now, we all know the Bible says not put the Lord your God to the test. Amen? We all know that, right? Right. Did Gideon put God to the test? Yes, he did. However, in this story, now this doesn't give us a, a license to do this. In this story, God accommodates Gideon. Now, what you find out as you keep on reading, we don't have time to read the whole thing here, but no one is getting asked for one sign. He asked for three signs. It starts off with, hey, okay, he comes out and he brings meat and he brings these like cupcakes kind of thing and he brings this broth and he puts it on a rock and the angel Lord touches it and consumes it much like we see in the story of Elijah and the Mount Carmel and then the angel Lord disappears. So in that moment, Gideon's like, okay, he really was from God. This really was a message from God. But he still had fear. In fact, if you read on a few verses, you'd find out that he was going to go with this newfound somewhat courage to, to remove the, the altar to Baal. But he didn't want to do it at the daytime because he was afraid of what his peers would say. So he did it at nighttime, still loaded with fear. And then he comes back and says, okay, God, this whole delivering Israel thing from the hand of the Midianites. Okay, if you really, if you really, okay, I do believe you now because I, I've seen it. But I still don't think I'm the right guy for the job. So if you really think I'm the right guy for the job, God, here's what we're going to do, right? Okay, God, here's what I need you to do for me. I'm going to throw this fleece out. And when morning time comes, I want the fleece to be filled with dew, but I don't want there to be any dew on the ground around the fleece. And if that happens, God, then I'll know that I'm your man and that you're going to equip me to do what you want me to do. And the Bible says, and it was so. Getting it up and the fleece is filled with dew. And the Bible says it was enough to ring out that it provided like a bowl of water, filled full of water, and there was no dew on the ground around him. You would think that would be enough. But then Gideon says, okay, but Lord, don't be upset with me. I've still got one more sign I need. All right, let's, let's flip this thing. Tomorrow morning, I want dew to be all on the ground, but no dew on the fleece. Then I'll know, God, that you've really called me out and that you're for real. And the Bible says... And it was so. See, the thing I want to bring out to you is this, is that fear cripples our trust in God. Have you ever felt like Gideon? Have you ever been led to do something and you backed up and you go, God, I, 
I know you're supposed to be faithful. I hear it. We talk about it in small groups. Doug says it all the time. But I just don't know that I see it. God, I, 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 I know I should trust you, God, but if you want me to do this, you've got the wrong guy for the job. You've got the wrong guy for the job. I mean, God, I, I, I'm the least prepared and equipped for this. You, I'm the nobody. I'm the last one picked. You don't want me. And God, if you really want to use me, you're going to have to light up the heavens for me. There's going to be sign after sign after sign to show me that it's really you calling me. Have you ever felt like Gideon? Come on, have you ever felt like Gideon? And walk through that scenario. Here's the thing that I want us to know before we move on. We must choose to trust that God is faithful and that God is able if we're going to overcome our fear. Listen to me. Trusting God is a choice we all have to make. We all have to make it. Just like today, you chose to get up and put clothes on, and we're so thankful for that. I mean, you made an intentional choice to get in your car and to drive here and to be here. Well, maybe most of you that aren't teenagers. You made a choice to be here today. And I'm just telling you, we can want warm fuzzies all day long. Well, God, just reveal yourself to me so I can trust. No, 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 no. Trusting God is a choice we have to make. I choose in the face of my circumstances to declare this. He is faithful. Has God, never, has, has God ever not been faithful to you? I choose to declare he is faithful and that he is in control. The only way for us to overcome our fear, our anxiety, all that stuff is if we choose to trust that God is reliable and that God is able. Amen? But now I don't want us to see that Gideon's response. I also want to see as we close today kind of the lessons on trust that Gideon should have Learn. Here's the first lesson. Write this down. God's strength through your weakness is enough. If I sit down with every one of you in the room, we had a conversation. Here's what I know I would hear from every one of you. You are keenly aware of your weaknesses, aren't you? If I said, hey, tell me five things that are great about you and five things that are wrong about you, you're probably going to tell me maybe one great about you and ten things, and you're going to stop because we ran out of time. Because you are keenly aware of your inadequacies. You are keenly aware of your weaknesses. We're keenly aware of those things. But because we're keenly aware of those things, and because we tend to lean toward our weaknesses like, I'm unable, I can't do this, all those kinds of things, it always takes us down a path of fear. But the lesson that Gideon needs to learn and that we need to learn is that when we lean on God's strength, Elijah read a while ago, he is our stronghold. He is our refuge. He is our strength in our portion forever, right? And if we will lean on God's strength, who he is and what he's about, his strength in and through our weaknesses will be enough. Enough for what, Doug? Enough to overcome the fear that rages in our hearts. When we lean on his strength, through our weaknesses, it is enough to overcome our fear. God is telling Gideon through this story, Gideon, you can trust me. And here's why. Look with me in verse 14. Here's why. Verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, God in his might of yours, save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. You can trust me, Gideon. Why? Because I'm sending you. Gideon, you can trust me because you're going in my strength. I'm not asking you to do this ill-equipped. I'm asking you to do this when you're not prepared. Listen, Gideon, if I've called you to do this, you can do this because of my strength. Quit focusing on your weaknesses. Start focusing on my strength. I am who I am, right? 
I am sovereign, and I am in control, and I have jurisdiction, and I have authority. Listen, Gideon, you can do what I've called you to do because I am the one sending you. You are going in my strength. You can trust me, Gideon. Also, verse 16, because what he says in verse 16. And the Lord said to him, but I, what? Will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon, you can trust me because I'm sending you. You're going to my strength. But you can also trust me, Gideon, because I will be with you. You are going with my presence. Do you see that? See, some of us, listen, when we feel like God is calling us to do things, we get in freak out mode. Like if I talk about sharing your faith, you just got sweaty. Just as, as the word came off my tongue there, you're like, oh my gosh, I, 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 I can't do that. I mean, I don't know enough. I mean, I don't read enough. I haven't memorized. I mean, we start with all the excuses, just like Moses, right? Well, we can't. But really the truth is, it's not why we can't, it's why we won't. And we need to realize today that part of trusting God is going, I can trust him because when he calls me out, I'm going in his strength. And when he calls me out, I'm going with his presence. That's why Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember this, lo, I am with you, how long? Always. I'm not asking you to go on your own. I'm letting you know I'm with you. See, you can trust me. You know why? Because you're going in my strength. You can trust me because you're going with my presence. We can trust God when we go in his strength and because we're going with his presence. The second lesson I think Gideon really needed to learn was this. Trust requires us to decrease so he can what? Increase. One of my favorite verses, John 3.30. As he looks to Jesus, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. Let's look at this in the story. We're going to read several verses here. Look with me in chapter 7. Skip to chapter 7. I want us to see the end of the story here. Because at this point, Gideon has been filled with a lot of fear. And we see this idea, this truth that he should have learned about God's strength or our weaknesses enough. But here's this idea that trust requires us to decrease so he can increase. Chapter 7, verse 2. It says this. Here's where the, the story of the Midianites begins to end. It says this. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with too many are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands. Let Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people return, and 10,000 remain. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them, for there, you and anyone who I say to you, this is the one who shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone who I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall sit by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lap put their hands to the mouth was 300 men. But the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men who lapped it, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands and let all others go every man to his home. Verse 16, skip over to verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all the men and empty jars with torches inside them. Verse 20, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars and they held in their left hand the torches and their right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 
And every man stood in his own place around the camp, and all the army what? Ran. All the army what? Ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and all the army fled. Now, when you look at this story of Gideon, what we find out is that for Gideon, trust requires us to decrease so that he can increase. If you're Gideon and you're going into battle, we find out in the story that Gideon initially has 32,000 men. Now, remember, the Midianites outnumber the Israelites by a ton. So if you're going into war, Jose, do you want 32,000 men on your side? Absolutely. But God says, listen, that's too many. Because if you win, you're going to take the credit. So if, you, if you're scared and you're trembling, go home. Apparently 22,000 men were scared and trembling. So they went home. Now we're down to 10,000. 10,000 is not 32,000, but I'll take 10,000 men, wouldn't you, Jose? And say, we're going to fight. We're outnumbered. We're, we're, you know, we're going against the odds here. But we're going to do this. And then God says, oh, but, but by the way, that's too many men. So send them down to the water. At the end of the day, he said, these 300 men who lapped it up like dogs, I'm going with those 300. Now, if you're Gideon, internally, how are you feeling right now? Oh, my gosh. I can't even begin to imagine. I had 32,000 men. And then I went to 10,000. And now I've got 300. I mean, I, I know these are probably the best of the best. They're probably Spartans, like, you know, we see. I mean, I, I know that. But at the end of the day, it's 300 men. And I'm fighting a nation of the Midianites who outnumber us by, by enormous numbers. But do you ever see Gideon question God since we read about him a while ago in chapter 6? No. You think Gideon learned a lesson? See, early on, Gideon, God's like, hey, Gideon, I'm going to use you. And Gideon's like, nope, not me. I'm not sure I can trust you. Not me for sure. You missed, you missed the boat on this one, God. But here God has the most challenging thing before Gideon. I'm going to take you from 32,000 men to 300 men. And with 300 men, we are going to destroy the Midianites. And I want you to hear me. Gideon was able to put aside and decrease his opinion and his preference, because his preference would have been 32,000 soldiers, right? But he put that aside. And listen. He just trusted God. You think that was hard? But listen, for Gideon to have the victory, he had to trust God. Totally. With 300 men. Now we know the rest of the story. They won, right? They won. What a great victory for Israel. But I want you to know something this morning. That if we're, if we're going to experience that same victory, for us to trust God requires some things to decrease in our life too. You know what needs to decrease in our life? Our will. Our will to do what we want instead of following what God wants. Our pride needs to decrease. This sense of, I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I got this. No, you don't. You don't have it. The reason that we're typically in the mess that we're in is because we thought we had it. And what we found out is we don't. And for some of us, our pride needs to decrease. For others of us, our insecurities need to decrease. And then yet for others of us, our fear needs to decrease. If we're truly going to see victory in our lives, we must trust God. And that means some things in our lives have to decrease. See, here's what I love about the story as we wrap it up. I love the story. And I know we read a lot today, but I love it because in the beginning, we see a Gideon who's loaded with fear. And at the end, we see a Gideon who's removed the fear and totally trust God. Even when it made no sense. What about you? What about us?
see, there's probably some of us in the room today that we have been paralyzed by fear. Maybe it's the fear of failure. Hey, God, if I do what you tell me to do, I'm thinking, I'm gonna, what if I fail? Or maybe it's a fear of expectations that others have around us. Or maybe it's a fear of being alone. God, if I do what you call me to do, God, I might be alone. Oh, by the way, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so you're not alone. Or maybe we fear rejection. God, what if I do what you call me to do and they reject me? Well, what did he tell Samuel? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me, Samuel. Get over yourself. See, there's some of us in the room today, if we were honest, last week you wrote down that list there. I want to trust God with this this year. I really want to trust God. Awesome. But the obstacle to trusting God with that is fear. And some of us today are paralyzed by fear. And as a result, the depth of our trust is crippled. And we aren't becoming who God wants us to be. And we aren't doing what God has called us and wants us to do. So here's my challenge for us today. I believe with all of my heart that God sees something in you that you do not see in yourself. I believe there's a Gideon in every single one of us in the room today. God has got a plan and a purpose for all of us. But for us to experience it and to have the victory, we have to trust him. Even when it makes no sense. We have to trust his will, his way, and his direction for our lives. So I have two challenges for all of us today. Number one, would you lay down your fears? I'm not going to ask you to fill out a card and put in the offering basket. If you want to do that, that's great. But what is the thing that scares the life out of you, that's keeping you from really trusting God with that thing you thought about last week? What's that fear that's holding you back? For some of you in the room, maybe you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that fear is, okay, if I give my life to Christ, it's going to cost me everything. I mean, I'm going to lose everything I have. I'm going to lose every friend that I have. I mean, I'm going to be in a land of the unknown. And that's keeping you from trusting Christ. Some of you in the rooms that are believers, I mean, you you know you need to trust him with different areas of your life, but you have some fears that are keeping you from doing that. What are those fears? And here's my challenge. First of all, would you lay those fears down today? Would you say, Lord, I relinquish these fears to you? Second of all, after you lay down your fears, would you declare that he must increase and that you must decrease? Would you declare that in your weaknesses, He is strong. And would you simply declare this today, Lord, even when it doesn't make sense, I choose to trust you. I no longer want to be crippled in my faith. I want to experience some growth. So would you lay down your fears? And would you make a new declaration to the Lord today about trusting him? I'm going to ask you right now, right where you said every head bowed and every eye to be closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And right now, just in the quietness of the moment, I'm just going to ask you, what is that fear that's holding you back? And would you just call it out to the Lord? Right now, in the quietness of the moment, would you just tell the Lord, here's the fear that's keeping me from trusting you the way I need to, and just lay it before him. Take a moment to do that. And once you lay down that fear, would you just make a new declaration to the Lord? Just make a new declaration and say, Lord, I'm weak, but you're strong. And Lord, I know that I must decrease so that you can increase in my life. There's some things I've got to put aside, Lord, 
so that your love and your grace in my life is exposed so I can trust you more? Would you just declare today that you are tired of being crippled in your trust with God because of fear? And today you want to be liberated. Would you just declare today that, Lord, even when it doesn't make sense, even when the odds are stacked against what you say, even when the world tells me I'm wrong, I trust you. I trust you. With every head bowed and right closed, I'm just going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. Everybody stand. Father in heaven, we love you. And I just pray as we wrap up this moment, this, this time we've had with you, that God, that we would be reminded of that commitment we made a week ago about trusting you, the area that we feel like we really need to trust you in. And God, I, I hope and pray that we left here last week encouraged and, and built up and ready to tackle the world. But God, I know the enemy too. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That he knows that if we trust you with everything in us, we will be a threat to his kingdom. And so God, there's fear that has creeped its way into our lives. Maybe fear of, of, of failure or rejection or being alone. We just have all this fear. And God, I pray today that we would lay that fear down and that we would run to you. Run to you and declare that we trust you and that we declare that in our weakness you make us strong and that we desire for you to increase in our lives. God, would you just move in this place only as you can? For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Here's what I'm asking you to do this morning, right? Let this song be our response. If you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. I'm going to ask some of our deacons and wives if you'll make your way to the front sides of the room. Maybe you just need prayer. You need somebody to pray with you. They'll be up here. Just go ahead, guys, right now with your wives. Go ahead and move right now. If you need somebody to pray with you, just come pray. But let's please not leave this place and letting fear reign in us. Let's let the love and the trust we have for the Lord overcome this morning. So you sing. You celebrate. May this be our commitment. And if you need to come to the altar, it's available to you. May God lead you and may you follow.